0: Hey, good morning, New Hope Community Church. Thank you for joining us and welcome to our ambiance, our Christmas and holiday decorations. You know, it's still November, but we're looking forward and we're so excited about Christmas and Advent next week. But also, not going to lie, a big part of it is Man, I just can't wait for 2020 to be over. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like so excited just to be done with this season, be done with uh, 2020. Well, uh, this morning, we're going to go through our series in Isaiah. And we've just been digging through, putting our hands to the plow for the last uh, two months. And we've walked with Israel in their history for a couple of hundred years. We walked with them through their fears through their hopes. We've walked with them through their dreams, their aspirations. we walked through their failings, their victories. We've walked through uh, their love for God and yet uh, not trusting in God and failing God. And throughout all this, we see the wavering and the waffling back and forth in their faith in God. But the one thing that is constant, the one thing that remains in the book of Isaiah is that God has been relentless in His pursuit of His people, that God has been willing to do whatever it takes, go wherever He needs to go for His people so that they would know that, that He loves them despite The Israelites wandering and caving and wavering back and forth. God's love is constant. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Whereas our spiritual lives and our personal lives, emotions go up and down. Just like Israel, God's love has been constant and it remains the same. Never for a second are we out of God's thoughts. There's never been a moment in our lives that we are unloved by our Creator and our Savior. God is a God of remnant who never forgets about His loved ones, and He's always compassionate towards His children, even in suffering. In Isaiah 49, verse 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the children she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you, says the Lord. See, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. So with that background of the constant love of God, we're going to be talking about freedom from Isaiah 61. Uh, The brilliant uh, theologian and musician who goes by one name, Sting, Uh, After he broke up from the police, he wrote a song, "If if you love somebody, you set them free. And that is one of the greatest expressions of God's love for you and for me is freedom. You see, God has a great passion and a desire for your freedom here on earth. God roars from heaven for your freedom. See, God promises a new heaven, a new earth, in order to bring genuine freedom for His people. God is saying, hey, I'm so serious about your freedom. I'm so I'm dead serious and, and dead intent on setting you free that I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to come and I'm going to show and demonstrate my love for my people that I want to set them free. See, God is so intent in setting us free that He's not just going to send the prophets for temporary freedom, for momentary liberation. He's not just going to send Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Amos or Habakkuk. God sends Himself. He's not just going to get these temporary kings He's not just going to send Cyrus or Darius or Artaxerxes as these Messianic figures to save and deliver them. He's not just going to send judges like uh, Samson and Jephthah and Gideon. But God himself is going to come down over 2,000 years ago. He took on skin. He took on bones. He took on flesh. And He became one of us. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He died our death on the cross that we deserve. He was resurrected from the dead so that we could be set free. So let's read Isaiah chapter 61 this morning. Isaiah 61 verse 1. And we're actually going to also do uh, Luke chapter 4 and the fulfillment where Jesus refers early in His ministry. He established and He sets a precedence of who he is and his messianic identity so let's look at Luke, isaiah chapter 61 the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives circle proclaim freedom and release from darkness circle release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Let's look at now the fulfillment of that in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue as was His custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. To really appreciate this scenario, you and I, we must understand that Jesus is now a full-grown adult of 30 years old. He has come back to his hometown, to his home synagogue. He's surrounded by friends and family and neighbors who knew him as a small little kid, Jewish kid running around. And in this moment, he is given a turn to read the scripture. He reads this particular scripture from Isaiah that says, I am he, I am the anointed one to set the captives free. And their eyes were fastened on him because they're asking, did he really mean that literally? He's that little kid, that carpenter's son of, of Joseph and Mary. But Jesus, reading their hearts, knowing their thoughts, said, you condemn yourself by not believing that I am the one to fulfill his promise. Now, we have to understand why it would be difficult for them to receive that Jesus would be the one to set them free. Not only was this, in their understanding, this insignificant little kid running around that they knew, but they had waited so much anticipation, so much longing, so much expectation for this moment for 400 years. From Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to to Matthew, to John the Baptist, this intertestamental period of silence, 400 silent years where God did not raise a prophet to speak to be his prophetic voice. 400 years they waited for the voice of God to speak to them. And here comes Jesus and he says, I am the one that Isaiah wrote about. And for this Nazareth kid, Now as an adult, to speak these words and affirm that he was the Messiah, it was absolute blasphemy. But the fact that Jesus was able to stand in the most difficult place with those who are familiar with him, they think they know him, and he was going to proclaim with boldness and confidence that he lived, he died, he rose again to send the Holy Spirit, for what purpose? To set the captives free. This was an incredible moment. Jesus was declaring what he was all about. And we have to get the magnitude of the situation. We have to kind of read, quote unquote, read the room and understand what was happening. And here is my main point for us today from Isaiah 61. Freedom. Freedom regarding to God who sets us free freedom is to love as God loves freedom is to love as God loves we have to realize this word freedom just does not mean from freedom from condemnation this is a, a very deep freedom it's a freedom from the domination, from the control, from the mastery of sin. And this is church. You can't be, there's no lying, right? Church in your living room, church in your car, church in your kitchen. This is the freedom. If sometimes, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't believe that it's possible. We don't even believe that it is even possible for us to be truly free. But I tell you this morning, Because of the person of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, you and I are able to live in freedom. You are able to fulfill the very thing which God created you for. And freedom is to love. What is the greatest commandment? Is to love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength. The 613 traditionally in Judaism, 613 laws could be compounded and be summed up and amalgamized in this one command is to love God. So freedom is not to doing whatever we want, but freedom has to do with the, this liberty to love God or to love others as God would love um, it's not just doing whatever we want you know growing up in the 80s maybe it was because of you know communism with russia but uh it was i don't know it was a thing but when i was growing up this thing hey it's a free country right you could show up late to school oh it's a free country i could do whatever i want i'm free to do what i want oh Oh, you didn't brush your teeth this morning. Hey, it's a free country. I could do what you want. Hey, you're wearing mismatching socks. It's a free country. And we, we think freedom is doing whatever we want. But we, we still carry that residual fallacy of our understanding of freedom. But is freedom really doing whatever we want? If you have credit cards and you can do whatever you want, you have the freedom, Chase Freedom MasterCard, right? Chase Freedom, that you can do whatever you want with those credit cards. You could spend money that you don't have. And at the end of the month, you have creditors calling because you're free because you did whatever you want. Is that really freedom? You have sexual urges. Hint, we all do. You're free to do whatever you want with the sexual urges that you have. You're free to have an affair. You're free to have sex outside of marriage. You're free to delve into pornography. But if you cannot control, if you are not able to say no to these things, is that really freedom? Instead of choosing to do that which is true and good and beautiful, If you're not free to do that, good, true, and beautiful, loving God, loving neighbor as ourselves, is that really free? You know, we're in lockdown and quarantine. You're free to watch as much TV as you want. Spend as much time in front of our phones, texting or scrolling through our social media pages. You're free to worry as much as you want, but if you can't stop any of those things, if you can't say no to any of those things, is that really freedom? Something so simple as drinking coffee, you can free, you're free to have caffeine in the morning, but if you're not able to stop and it becomes habitual and has control and mastery over you, is that really freedom? See, freedom is to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, which is to love God. The whole purpose of Christianity, the Bible, is the glory of God and for us to love Him. And it's not so easy. It's easily thought about. It's easily said. But love is something that does just not manifest in outward behavior. Love is much more than doing the right thing because we know full well we could do the right thing, have the outward veneer, or facade or the appearance of doing what's right. But if our hearts are evil and our thoughts are wicked and proud, then there's no genuine freedom. It reminds me of the illustration, you know, of a mom telling her kid, you know, five years old jumping up and down on the seat on the airplane Johnny, sit down, Johnny, sit down, Johnny, sit down. And finally, in front of everybody, just embarrassed him and put him in his place. Johnny, would you sit down? And he responds, and he sits down, but he gives the mom the stink eye and says, on the outside, I may be sitting down, but in the inside, I'm jumping up and down. See, we could have, the portrayal and the facade of righteousness and doing the right thing, but genuine freedom starts with transformation. Jesus said, I have not come to give you more rules, but have come to give you new hearts. It's the only way that we can accomplish our life purpose is through a new heart because nobody can love like God loves without a new heart. Look at Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Freedom is not an outward behavior. Loving God is not in sacrifices and outward piety. It's not in perfunctory, perfunctory religious rituals. It's not going to church and reading your Bible. These are all important things. But freedom has to do and starts with a genuine heart that's been transformed by Jesus. That's what the prophet Ezekiel prophesied. And so, how do we walk in freedom? I have three simple application points for us. Number one is this. Would you write this down? Hide nothing from the light of Christ. Absolutely, positively, hide nothing from the light of Christ. You cannot, I repeat, you cannot walk in freedom unless... You are not totally, 1,000% truthful in your heart to yourself and to God. Nothing from the light of Christ. Yeah, you can continue to sin. You could continue not seek healing or transformation. You can do that, but you will never be free. Become brutally honest, exposing to God. Come before the cross. Your problem is not too great for our God. Your anxiety is not too great for our God. Your regrets is not too, too great for our God. Your um, inward and wrong motivations are—it's it, not too great for our God. Because exposing all that's in your heart and in your mind to the light of Christ, if, if you bring it to Christ, then life and life and transformation can happen. You see, Jesus is not like us. He's not judgy. He's not gonna judge us. He's not gonna criticize us. We all know John 3.16, but how many of us know John 3.17? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, truth sets us free. Truth and freedom go hand in hand, hide nothing, from the light of Christ. John the Beloved has great insight into freedom by revealing it in the light. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The depth of your freedom is directly connected and correlated through the depth of your confession and honesty. Bring it to the light. Lord, I'm angry. Jesus, I'm PO'd right now. God, I'm so disappointed. God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, how could you allow this to happen? I had my heart set on that. Lord, why? Why? Why here? Why now? Lord, how could you allow this to continue to happen to me? Lord, where are you? Bring your doubt before God, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith, bring everything before the light of Christ. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify means to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Number two, would you write this down, reject the lies, reject the lies. You and I were bombarded with lies every day. Sometimes we don't even realize it in our lives, but what's really sad is that what they really do to impact the way we think and how we behave. I'll give you a couple lies about Satan that he feeds. He this is the number 1 lie from the father of lies. The lie is that God is a tyrant, and he does not want your good all the time. That God is not trustworthy. Satan wants you to believe, and he plants seed and doubt, that God is not really a gift. That God does not really want the good for your life. And that is the biggest lie from the pit of hell. God is light and in him there is no darkness. Satan is the father of lies. You can see it from the very beginning when he tempted Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Is God really uh, good? How could he withhold and prevent you from eating from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? See, we have a counterfeit spirituality. We have a counterfeit love if we don't believe in our heart of hearts that God is good. Charles Spurgeon says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be doubted. If you cannot trace His hand, then you have to trust in His heart. Trust the Father's heart for you no matter what kind of hardships you're going through right now, the, matter, the amount of pain that you're going through, physical, emotional, spiritual. You might feel alone. You might feel forsaken. But never doubt the goodness of God in your life. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We'll go ahead and close with number three is this. Would you write this down? Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. And this is the most important one. It's the most crucial one. Because you cannot love God as God loves if you don't have the love of God in us. If I'm not abiding in the love of God, in the love of Jesus, like His Father has loved us, then there's no possible way. If I'm not connected to the vine, and I'm just a branch on my own, living life in my own strength, in my own work ethic, in my own wisdom then I will not survive there's no freedom I will be bogged down and, and held down by the power and control of sin you can't do it unless you abide in Christ stay close to Jesus do your devotions Devote yourself to hearing from God. Devote yourself in prayer, hearing from God, speaking to God. Devote yourself to church, to worship. Devote yourself to Sabbathing in the Lord and resting in His promises. And as we conclude this morning, I'm going to offer an invitation for you this morning to come before the Lord, hide nothing from Him, bring it into the light for you to abide in Him, to experience genuine freedom. It's all about Jesus. And the picture of baptism is a great reality for us. That when Jesus died, He died to sin. He died to self. When, when we put our faith in Christ, we identify in the death of the old us. The, the death and the mortification of the old John, who I was, who I, my priorities, my thoughts, my past, my regrets, my mistakes, my old life, my old order of life died, but Jesus was resurrected. We identify in the resurrection of Jesus. I've been uh, walking with the Lord for many years, and I can tell you, transformation is amazing. Freedom is amazing. What will a man do? What will a man give to be free? Well, Jesus loves you so much that he died. He was raped, He was resurrected so that you and I could be free. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, this morning. And I pray right now for freedom for your people. Lord, you have been anointed. You have been set apart. The Holy Spirit is upon you so that you could set us free. So I just pray right now, Lord God, freedom from anxiety, freedom from anxious thoughts that's weighing us down. Freedom, Lord, from just financial anxiousness, oh Lord God, of where our finances might be. Lord, I pray right now for freedom from sexual addiction Freedom from depression, Lord. Freedom, Lord, you have come to set the captives free. Freedom, oh Lord Jesus, from idolatry. Lord, I pray God that we would be able to, uh, through the power of your spirit, live in freedom. To love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.